Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Raj, it's given that we have you on the line. Can we, uh, can we get another a little bit out of you? Oh, I'm done. I'm gone. i got to go, lad. Good luck. Bye. I'm under pressure here. i got to go to me. Bye, Okay, okay, okay. Go on. everyone, welcome to week four of the Duncan and Duncan podcast. I think we've given up trying to find a different name now, so we're just going to stick with that. Uh, I'm Duncan Casey, here with my co-host, the delightful Duncan Williams. A little later on, we'll be talking to an old teammate of mine, John Quill, and an old housemate of Duncan's, uh, who was involved in the Munster Academy. Um, it didn't work out for him, and he got the opportunity to go and play professionally in the States, pretty much by accident. And... He went on to have a, quite a successful career over in the States, played for the U- USA team 28 times and played in two World Cups, which isn't something that a lot of guys can say. So, Duncan, how are you? Very good. How are you? Very well. Uh, I had, had a more peaceful weekend than you, I think, uh, by the sounds of it. You had a, a, yeah. a nice shock to the system in your return to all Ireland League rugby. I did up in Belnahinch. Um, it was nearly the end of the world up there. Um Fairly atrocious conditions, uh, wind, rain, hailstones. I remember we were warming up and the backs were doing their set piece. I looked over and the forwards were covered in behind the hoardings trying to shelter from the... That makes a change, to Yeah, be so that was a bit of a rude way. I was dreading the day after that. I was thought I was in for a very long day of packing and hiding, but uh, no, we managed to, to come out with a win, so it was made the trip worthwhile. Had we not won, it would have been... Uh, Bit of a disaster, right? You have to make that journey and, and playing in those conditions. But uh, yeah, glad we got the win. Well, the trip north from Limerick, thankfully, I think I only I only did it on a bus once, and I drove it once. But I managed yeah. to avoid it, tactically avoid it on every other occasion. But uh, I well, yeah, they from, got from a Cork bus. is I, even worse. Yeah, like I didn't drive, so I I didn't even get the benefit of the points on the way home. So it was. Uh, yeah, it was a bit of a, of a stressful weekend, right? Chat. That's why you do it, sure, isn't it? I love yeah. it again. Love it again. <laughs> Real authentic experiences. Yeah. Anyway, you had a good win. What did the score finish at? Uh, was it 16 5? Um, so, yeah, we were. I think we scored just before half time to make it 10 0. Uh, we were playing into the wind now, sort of, as literally. They kicked off. We had to hold the ball on basically the full length of the pitch constantly for any time we turned it over. It was just. Kick back in behind us, but they actually they made a few mistakes. Anytime they did kick it, they actually kicked it dead quite often. So it was a scrum back from where they kicked it, so that kind of bailed us out a few times. I think we managed it a bit better in the second half. Our kicks were just landing just short of the line or trickling out into touch just before their line, so we weren't really getting punished for kicking the ball like like they were. So it was, um, yeah, so we, we managed the game quite well. Managed to hold on to the ball into the wind for as long as we could and we got a, an early penalty and then we managed to get a try just on the stroke at half time you made some kind of covert efforts to get the game called at 60 minutes um, is that legal is it to talk about this it depends no yeah so <laughs> it was about 58 minutes on the clock and, you into, and yeah. uh, we had a scrum on the right hand side so we were what 13 nil up I think so I kind of half jokingly but deadly serious said it to there a scrum half like you know if gets to 60 minutes and it's called off the <coughs> The score stands, like, so is there, would you fancy calling it, like, um, you know, we'll give you, we'll let you get a try there for a bonus point, like, <laughs> which he thought I was joking, but to my own broken heart, I was deadly serious, so it was, uh, <laughs> he didn't take me up in the offer. 
I remember, well, this weekend was definitely a weekend. I got out of bed on Saturday morning. I looked out the window and I said, I am delighted. I'm not going outside in that today. I uh, walked, because actually up there, so if you come out of the dress room, it's actually quite sheltered till you get past the the actual building. Like, So I was like, Jesus, isn't too bad. Like, And I got just past the building and the wind hit me and I, I stood there. And I was like, what have I done? Why, why am I still playing this? these matches? Like I was there, <laughs> but I actually enjoyed it once we got going. So it was... Uh, it's staying warm is the trick with that, getting warm and staying yeah. warm. As we, a, we went in at half, so uh, as I said, we scored a try just on the stroke at half time. And then we went in uh, to the dressing rooms for 10, 15 minutes. But looking back at it, we should just literally turn around and kicked off and started the second game without any break. Because we came back out into the second half and it was absolutely freezing. Like we were we were all shivering. If, I remember Jerry Hurley was taking a kick in the second half. His knees were knocking off each other. He was so cold. <laughs> he was shivering so much. So it was... Uh, it was a bit of an experience, but look, as I said, we won, so happy days. I remember a lad who I played underage at Munster with, who I actually always thought would turn professionally. He played back row for Munster. He used to play, he was in Prez, he used to play back row and wing. And uh, he said he was playing on the wing in similar enough conditions one time. And he was literally, he was borderline freezing to death. And he was looking up to the subs on the side. And he was like, what the fuck am I going to do? Like, I can't, I can't stay out here. The ball was getting nowhere near him for the whole 80 or 70 minutes as it was. And uh, they said... You need to pace yourself. He oh, said, "Why? You need to pace yourself. If you want to warm up. I'm telling you, this is what you do." So he said he did, <laughs> and it helped a little bit. But what's his guy's name? Uh, I will leave the name out of it. <laughs> you should have told me this last week because Sweets was actually playing on the wing for us. <laughs> so I'm sure with a bit of gentle encouragement, I could have got him to, to pace himself as well. But uh... I'm sure a lot of people would have been happy to hear Sweets made his return to competitive rugby at the weekend as well. Yeah, it was good to see him back uh, as. Most people know I'm a big fan of sweets. I think what he brings to the game is a bit different to others. Like I think he's just this fellow who plays an instinct and if you try and coach him it's kinda nearly hinders him. So I think mm. we saw the beauty of that when Razzy was there. I think Razzy just let him off and do his thing and he was phenomenal that year. Like I think he was pretty much first choice winger at that, that point. Um he's had a few injuries now in the last six, uh, twelve to eighteen months, so it's um Struggling a bit, but yeah, it was good to see him back. He was <laughs> playing on the wing, frozen solid. Um, at least he had a shower after the game anyway, so yeah. he's trying to get rid of the, the nickname Stu, so uh, Stewie, it, was good, yeah. it was good to see him in the shower. <laughs> I forgot about Stewie, actually, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, no, I'm hoping to see him back at the red jersey a lot. Yeah, yeah, so hopefully hopefully that was a, a game to get him primed and ready for this week. I think they have zebra away, so uh, hopefully see him involved in that. I think most people know that he played inter-county hurling when he was still yeah. in school but like he played played basketball for Ireland as well am I right? Hockey. I don't know if he played basketball he played hockey and I think he played underage soccer for Ireland as well yeah. Cricket as well? Uh, I don't know Probably, probably a, a, not a representative level yeah. but he played it I suppose Yeah uh, yeah. yeah. so anything he throws his hand at he's, he's fairly handy Yeah he's one of, one of those just the old table tennis circle as well to be fair to him and yeah. the darts as well yeah <laughs> I hate those you know, well it was funny it was it was all the stereotypical people that used to hog the dartboard it was John Ryan and Kieran Parker so it's literally like watching live yeah, live darts yeah. similar frames yeah. <laughs> <laughs> two Same rotund people uh, squinting their eyes and launching they know they were missing with a couple of points alongside yeah. them but guys get really into it I, that used that piss, used to piss me off a little bit the people that had hogged the, the table tennis well, yeah, table I used to live with John we actually had a dartboard at home ah uh, uh, yeah so we used to be up playing non-stop Day and night, like it was. Uh, was it, did he ever play with a team? Because Mank, John? yeah, no, no, no. Mank played competitive darts for a season of darts. Like uh, he said, he'd be going around. So like, literally, the worst pubs in Limerick were all the <laughs> were all the, the venues. Like yeah. so, but you you were allowed to have walk on music and everything. Like so, to be. <laughs> <laughs> be this like hi-fi this shit you know hi-fi be some dive of a pub now like he said there were some real rough places and you were able to tell them like what song you wanted and they'd connect it up to the yeah. phone or whatever and then play it and oh, it would be cheered and shit so he said it was really good crack he must be quite good um, I mean like I, 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 I'm I not good at darts like but uh, I know from seeing people that would consider themselves to be good at darts that they wouldn't be good enough to be playing John, in a John league John was good to be fair Keith was very good Ian Keatley oh was he yeah uh, for a man who couldn't even see the dartboard as I said it's so bad but he was actually very good at darts um, actually Gigi Gigi was freakishly good was he? he used to he used to leather the leather the darts yeah. at the board yeah see long arms are a big help with that because you can lean in and he's basically yeah, yeah. his arms are kind of done, done his rowing kind of type arms down past his knees yeah a lot, a lot of 
Darts players use their belly to balance themselves. That's why John Ryan was so good. <laughs> I just I found it. I did find it hilarious that it was the props, the two tight ends yeah. that were uh, were up there the whole time after training for hours. Yeah. Anyway, we digress. Uh, not no, no. John went straight home to his uh, wife and child. Yeah, he okay. wasn't. He wasn't, <laughs> he wasn't playing darts all day every day. <laughs> definitely, he was definitely getting treatment uh, and had meetings and uh, everything else. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so moving on from darts, post-training darts, um, kind of one thing that came up in the last week that has really pissed me off and that maybe a lot of people wouldn't have heard of, but actually affects... I'd say more than really. <laughs> a lot of people wouldn't have heard of, and despite the fact that it affects kind of a lot of the Irish community playing rugby professionally outside of Ireland, is the news that the RFU in England have decided to cut funding to the championship by £3 million or about 50% uh, from next season onwards. So how it works at the moment is each team in the championship, uh, I'm not sure if it's means tested, I'm not sure mm. if the likes, uh, like, like, um, the likes of Ealing, say, would get it. But for teams that need it, it's, it's a 550 grand payment that they get each year as basically a, a subsidy. Okay. And a lot of these clubs are operating with heads barely above water so there's obviously been a lot of backlash to this um it's estimated that maybe 200 players that are currently contracted will will end up without clubs and uh i think it's just a really sad development um and and a really strange decision i mean it's almost more or less universally condemned by people outside of the rfu inner circle Mm. huge number of professional players current internationals giving out about it uh and understandably so but there's a very big Irish contingent that have over the years and continue to ply their trade in England. And um, another subject has come up here a few times about how difficult it is for Irish guys to kind of give rugby a second chance if they don't quite make the grade at their province by nature of the fact that there are only four teams. Like basically, if you're a Leinster player and you're not quite good enough, if you come through an academy system, you could probably go to one of the one of the other three provinces. Uh, if you're with Munster... There's a potential you mm. you might you might get a shot at Ulster Connacht um, and and similarly with Ulster um, there's very rarely guys that don't make the grade at Connacht that move on to other provinces. Yeah. Um, well, it was a, we used to play a good few of the teams in the BNI Cup. Whatever some good teams, tough tough trips like uh, the Cornish Pirates, Rotherham, and uh, Notting. We played a few times. You know they they were hard 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 games. You know I think it was was good for like we were fairly young playing that BNI Cup and I think you know it kind of gave us a good experience I know that's not what you're saying but it actually is a quite a good standard and it was maybe that bit better than AIL and just below kind of um, Pro 14 so it was it was good experience for us so absolutely but that's the thing like I, I mean I remember when um, when Ian Costello went over to Nottingham mm. Uh, which would have been 2015, I think, end of 2014-15 season. Yeah. He went over to take the head job at Nottingham, and I remember him saying, I think if I recall correctly, that Nottingham's playing budget was was 400 grand for the entire squad. So that's mm-hmm. like 35, 40 players, um, yeah. h- however many, whatever way you want to split it. And roughly, you're looking at a 250, 275 grand cut in each club's budget now. So essentially, their playing budget is being completely wiped out. So you have to wonder... You have to wonder how sustainable it will be, even if guys are able to be kept on retainer, on really basic retainers, yeah. how sustainable it will be. And it's just really sad to see that it's another avenue being cut off for rugby players everywhere, but particularly Irish players who, as I said, are kind of already up against it in terms of the opportunities that they have. Yeah. I mean, it's not like the RFU are short of money here. Um, like match fees played, paid per international game for the English 23 or £25,000 sterling. Yeah. That's, that's win, lose or draw per game. So... I was just doing. I was doing some maths. I'm not a mathematician by any means, but if that was 18 grand per game over the course of a Six Nations, that'd be 105 or 805 thousand pounds sterling that'd be saved. Uh, another six games on top of that between your your three summer tests, your three mm-hmm. November tests, that's another 966. So that's 1.8 million pounds that you're saving already. Um, I mean, getting getting your match fees cut 25 grand to 18 grand, win, loser, draw on <laughs> yeah. top of fairly big contracts anyway to begin with. I don't, I don't. I'm sure there will be some opposition to it, but I think in terms of the greater good, uh, yeah. it'd be hard to argue with something like that. Um, Barry White wrote a piece in the Sunday Business Post. I think I think I'm allowed to say that because it's not a direct competitor. Uh, I've got the sports editor here casting an eye on me next next in the seat next to me currently, but he wrote a very good piece about the privatization of rugby and and kind of private money that's pouring into rugby at the moment and. He actually referenced a couple of figures. He said that in the last five years, um, sponsorship revenues alone for the IRFU have risen by 12% to 32.8 million per year. And additionally, 
there was a 21% growth in broadcasting revenue uh, to £49.7 million last year. So the RFU are by, aren't by any means strapped for cash, and I think a £3 million cut, the fact that it will have such a devastating impact on, on so many people that are applying their trades uh, mm. in that second second tier is just really inexplicable, to be honest. A lot of guys are kind of barely touching minimum wage that are playing in mm. a lot of championship clubs. So if you're in a club that's already struggling and you're, as I said, you're getting your playing budget slashed by maybe 75%, I mean, yeah. you have to wonder it's pretty how... pretty much going from pro to semi-pro, really, is it? Yeah, like I, I remember a few years ago hearing that... Um, there were only about six teams in the championship that were kind of operating as fully professional yeah. outfits and that the rest were kind of hanging on for dear life. And I'm mm. like, it's, it's hard to see, it's hard to see where it's going to come from now, to be honest, potentially they roll back, roll back on it because they might not have foreseen the kind of backlash that they're getting at the moment. But, mm. um, it's quite disappointing. I and mean, there's a lot of Irish guys who've, yeah. who've gone there and have as come said, back. Yeah, it was a good outlet for lads who maybe absolutely well, sure you need would. another, maybe just get another year or two of fresh rugby and then get picked up somewhere else or, well, you lived you lived with Sean Dougal uh, for a couple of yeah. years. Uh, Dougs things didn't work out with him at Ulster uh, for various reasons, predominantly injuries. But yeah. he went over to Rotherham, got yeah. player of the championship during his time at Rotherham, came back, played a lot of rugby from Munster, and went played over and um, that's right, yeah, and went over and has had a terrific, terrific career in France and is yeah. still playing there. Um, guy like Copey, Robin Copeland. He was playing club rugby because uh, that's right, and he got the opportunity to go. Did he go to Plymouth or rather him first? Uh, it was Plymouth, it was Plymouth yeah, doesn't it? Definitely. He tells a funny story about where he was living. So essentially, there was a there was like a galvanized shed constructed onto the side of the the clubhouse <laughs> at the grounds, and they used to stick kind of four of the lads, four of the lads in there, and uh, he he was living in there. So I think he was twenty two. It's kind of one of those in, in Plymouth. In Plymouth, yeah. I think, you know, yeah, we played there a few times. <laughs> Yeah, oh yeah, I've played it before. Yeah, yeah. It's actually not a bad little town. It's a big <laughs> you, uh, navy town, isn't it? It's on the sea. It's yeah. kind of considered a bit of a kip, I think, by other English people. But that beautiful night out there, didn't you? Uh, I did, yeah. yeah, yeah. Pl- Plymouth is a good night out. Um, but yeah, it's got a naval base, and it's in the southwest, so the weather is a lot better than you'd get kind of in the Midlands or anything yeah. like that, but... Uh, I don't think it's considered to be sure, a terrible. We went for a fine walk for recovery after the match. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. You were one too many Jägermeisters who were a bit worse for wear. I don't think I was the only guy that was worse for wear. That you day, couldn't get over the value of them. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Like two pounds, two pound uh, Jager bombs or something like that. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so Kopi went to Rotherham from there. They went to Cardiff and mm-hmm. really, really tore things up at Cardiff. And was brought back to Munster and has been playing professionally in Ireland since then. He's with yeah. Cap for Ireland. Again, another guy that, you know, if he hadn't gotten that opportunity, he'd probably just still be playing club rugby if yeah. he hadn't gotten a foot in the door at Leinster. A lot of guys have gone over and carved out pretty decent careers for themselves. They're doing it long enough that they seem happy enough doing it. Guys move into player coaching and then ultimately, ultimately into coaching. I don't know, it never really appealed to me a whole pile. I think you, you really need to want it to yeah. go over and... Do your time in the championship. Thing, if you really want to keep playing the top level and you have to go there, it's the theory is just go there for a year or two and try and get back out there. And if you don't, I think it's just you've wider stay there and continue to enjoy your rugby. But for people who use it as a stepping stone, it's kind of you need to give it a year or two and then hopefully you get out there. But um, it can be quite tough beyond that, then I think if, if, if you don't get out. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, and that's why, like, I would have thought that, but certain guys just go there and seem to really enjoy Sean it. And Scanlon never actually. Um, I always thought he he there was a spot from there once. So, you know, I thought he was oh, was a good player. Um, he played like he made his debut that Christmas against Connacht, didn't he? he got a try, played very well. And I don't know that he play again after that, but you know, he was always one of these lads who trained very well, um, looked the part, was always in great shape. Mm. Uh, did a few injuries, but yeah, that's right. He was really promising. Yet I know he had a, a bad back issue that yeah. obviously cost him a few months. And like that he, was it, actually. He back yeah, back, he had yeah. to have he had to have a, an epidural, I think, on <clears throat> on a disc problem. No, he yeah. obviously made a full recovery and has played for years mm-hmm. after that. But just one of those things. But as, as I was saying, like without had it not been for Championship Rugby, maybe he wouldn't have gotten the chance to play professionally mm-hmm. ever again. And now he's. Yeah. He's gone over, he's kind of forged a life for himself over there. He's, I presume, looking at progressing into coaching full-time. All those opportunities have the potential to dry right up um, in next season. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Uh, I was watching my 
my old stamping ground or my old team playing their, my old stamping ground uh, FC Grenoble against Perpignan oh yeah you were saying on this. Thursday night so a very enjoyable game there's this real kind of interesting bit of rivalry that's developed over the last couple of years there so basically when I came over first it was Perpignan were finished top of the second division and we ended up getting hammered by them in the final and winning the playoff game so and after that game there's this there's this really uh, really kind of oddly shaped prop that plays lucid <laughs> for them this is like kind of guy that's been there for years he kind of looks like tony soprano but shorter and kind of kind of a bit rounder in the middle and uh he, he goes for 80 minutes routinely now he's yeah. actually a really good player fronts up carries loads of ball really powerful scrummager as well but um like the catalan the catalan people in general are kind of quite hot-headed and they're not the most popular in other parts of yeah. france so we were getting the bus we were playing in toulouse stadium we were getting the bus in and it's like hundreds of people around waiting for the bus. They're all throwing bottles at the bus and like kind of borderline kind of trying to rock the thing over. So you'd be loving it, obviously, as a player. But as you get down, they're just roaring abuse at you constantly because it was because Toulouse is down south, this far closer to Perpignan than Grenoble was. So the stadium was basically 80% Perpignan fans. Why are we playing uh, It's just neutral venue for the final. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. So uh, about 80% Perpignan fans. Um, and we were getting thumped. And for a finish, like their fans their fans started running like climbing over into where the dugout were and kind of waving flags in our faces and stuff like that and <laughs> stewards there was hundreds of stewards around all staring up at the sky not doing the thing lying in the tunnel so there was guys getting physical with them, like grabbing lads yeah. by the throat and throwing them away and all that kind of jazz and uh but like they're they're they're, they're a rough enough bunch a temperamental old bunch so one of the guys who was the subject the main subject of abuse was a prop that was playing for us who uh basically when they got relegated in France unless you've got something written into your contract if you get relegated the, the club ordinarily will try and completely screw you out of your money okay. so they got relegated and the president basically came to him and said we're cutting your salary by 60% okay and he's like no <laughs> I have a contract so what happened then was he said okay look we can't pay you Go if you go and find yourself another club then then we let then you go said, yeah. so he got a trial with Racing and Basically, the president arranged for photographs of him up in trial and Rassing to be released into the kind of local media. <laughs> president came out and said, uh, oh, look at this guy. He's abandoning us now that we've gone down to the second division. We want him to stay. We've promised that we've offered him the sun, moon and the stars and he won't. He's disrespecting us. So he was up in Paris at the time, but they're absolute lunatics down there. So in his house, like his family, his wife and his kids were in the house and there was people like coming to his house at night and throwing stones at the windows and stuff like that. <laughs> He had to ring his agent, and the agent basically had to evacuate the family oh, to a hotel while the whole thing was going was was um was happening. So they're uh, yeah they're they're kind of not the most popular bunch, but it makes for a good rivalry anyway. Because obviously we came up and uh, we came up and we were the two teams tipped to go down, so yeah. we we're kind of vying for that thirteenth spot. <laughs> not that it was much good to us for a finish. Anyway, after the game, Forleda, who I was talking about. There was a video of him going around in the car park. Basically, they sing this song in French, and it's like you you insert you insert the name of the part of the team or whatever. But it basically means it was like Grenoble, Grenoble, uh, the shield, the shield, as in like the the trophy that that, that we were playing for. Um, they can watch it on the TV. So there's this video of him going around the internet singing this in the car park, and all the Purple John fans are going mental. So that was being played for the whole week of the lead up to the game, like the, to say the the first fixture of the following season. And neither of us had won a game at that point. We were probably yeah. like six or seven games in, and uh, yeah, it was it was quite it was quite a grudge match, and it was a uh, there was a good bit of bite to it. Uh, but uh, we got our he got us come up and said anyway, we destroyed him at scrum time, and uh, we got it we got our victory. Oh, I know, I always like to hear that an old uh, underdog story. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But uh, no, it was good to see them. Um, Grenoble's a kind of a team that there's turnover of 17 or 18 people per year. Mm. So uh, uh, it was good to see them, to, to see a lot of the same faces there. But I'm sure most of them will be gone now next year, regardless of what happens. It's an unbelievable stadium in Grenoble there, the backdrop, the, the mountains and the... It is, it's uh, pretty special. Love to play there. It's quite unusual, yeah. So that was built as a football stadium originally. Okay. <clears throat> so the football stadium, I think, got up to League One. But I think they had they were owned by Asian investors and they just pulled the plug and they fell down the divisions down to fourth division I think so they couldn't actually afford to keep the stadium, so the city bought the stadium and you you sell out the two teams to to okay. use it, so 
yeah so it, it's a bit it's a bit shitty for the football lads I actually saw on Twitter they were playing like the following afternoon <laughs> so it was a nine o'clock kickoff obviously 80 minutes of rugby plus warm-ups and then Let the, the football team yeah. were going out to play then the following day but it is really nice so uh they're coming second in the league at the moment so it was good to see uh I didn't get I was trying to find a stream um all, all legal of course all above board for yeah, yeah. Beeritz versus Van no, nothing illegal or controversial on this show so Munster obviously had a great win at the weekend. Did you see yeah, it? I saw about 30, 30 minutes of it. Um, I was travelling to Dublin, so I didn't actually see the full game. But it was good to see John Hadden get a run. The West Cork Mafia growing stronger and stronger by the week. Was he West Cork? Is he yeah, yeah, Bantry? Ross, Ross Carberry. All ah, right, um, even kind of more unusual again. Yeah, so it's the right hub down in West, West Cork at the moment. So it was good to see him make his debut and get man the match. So the Shermanator came on, uh, Ben Healy. Um, so getting quite <laughs> aggressive with his uh, touch finders nice nice spirals reeling in the ears there you don't see many people kicking spirals to touch anymore um, so it's good to see him get on and get a good bit of game time um, obviously Keenan Knox is on the bench because the rooster Stephen Archer is still out with the goat that got him on the week off um, <laughs> hope so he's yeah. recovering from his goat yeah a yeah. prop needs to be able to enjoy good living from time to time yeah. everyone's entitled to a boat he spends his week fighting it off every week it just finally gets him then in the week off because he's doing no training <laughs> but uh, no it was good I think it was the record win was it for Munster or, or most tries or something is that right was yeah. it 65-3 was it so finished 10 tries isn't it yeah, yeah. so yeah. it was um, that it was really impressive uh, John Adam was excellent. I mean, yeah. a guy, he's 21 years old, he's getting a start at, at top level rugby. All you kind of really want from a guy like that is to put himself about and just get involved yeah. and not be a passenger. And he, he certainly he certainly got involved. He was everywhere, really. He was turning up, uh, he was turning up on inside passes. He was yeah. he was all over the place, really. And, yeah, I uh, saw a lot of him in the 20s last year. He was, he was very good. I thought he was probably the, one of the stand-up performers there for the, that 20s team, I just think. You know, for a fellow who doesn't look like a big man, he's he's a great ball carrier. Always gets over the gain line. Uh, looks nice, compact, and powerful. And is a, I was very impressed by him. Yeah, I think physically he, not that he has a bit to go, but I think he can add more to himself physically with the fact that he's so powerful and so effective already yeah. at 21 years of age in a position like seven. I think uh, is a really good omen for things. So yeah. hopefully now um, they, he'll get another crack or two before the end of the season and he'll get another chance to build on that because I mean starting like that, the confidence that that can give you as, as a young guy um, yeah. is really is really not to be underestimated. Uh, yeah, they seem so to be they have zebra away next week is it um, over there so I'd like to see hopefully see a few more selections like that maybe Jack O'Sullivan Craig Casey a few of those lads get another run as well and so that's a, it's a good learning experience that those away games in Italy can be quite tough I remember do you ever remember our I never daunting played. trips to Treviso that yeah, turned into the All Blacks anytime we went over there and we're like <laughs> playing unbelievable rugby offloading everything we <laughs> Next thing we over four tries down and losing by, by 28 points. Oh, Jesus, here we go again. I only was in Treviso once at Munster. That was... Cost many men a career, that old Treviso trip. Yeah, it did actually, didn't it? I thought that that trip that I did with Munster was bad, but then as, as I've referenced several times already in the last number of weeks, that 13-hour bus journey yeah, yeah. for the Challenge Cup match yeah. that nobody cared about. Yeah. Uh, we no, got 40... tough games, those, those away, to, uh, particularly um, in Italy, so... Get a good insight into how these lads are are sorted for um, some tough games coming up. Yeah, absolutely. It's always kind of a volatile period because those games have often fallen in that Six Nations period yeah. for Munster. And I mean, as you say, it's not to be underestimated. I think at least um, the Pro 14 is something that's going to be targeted very much. So I think uh, the chances of a slip up, kind of with one eye being on a quarter final or a semi final, are less likely this time of the year. Rumour has it Brendan Williams has come out of retirement and signed for Zebra as well, so he'll be <laughs> tormenting Stephen Archer in his dreams again. <laughs> what um, was that about? Do you remember him? He was playing Treviso. I remember him, yeah. I remember every time, lads, don't get isolated with this fella. Don't kick the ball to him. Every time you kick the ball to him, everyone would get isolated. He'd be sidestepping, lads. But do you remember the famous pitcher, Archer, trying to tackle him? Oh. <laughs> and so he's like trying to dive right, but Brendan Williams has actually gone the other way. And it's like his knees buckled and everything. But, uh, yeah, he was causes awful uh, trouble every uh, time he played against them. <laughs> but the best thing was he like apparently he was he was on the missing list for days upon days. Like, oh, is that right? And they wouldn't even know if he was going to turn up for a match. Like, he'd rock into the dressing room and like score four tries against us, <laughs> tear us asunder. He was an impressive fellow, right? Yeah. He was uh, well able to do damage. So, well, Munster were really good. I thought it was really encouraging to see them throwing the yeah. ball around the way they did. Um, 
they were just get, taking chances got a bit loose towards the end but like, look I think you're that far up that's yeah. bound to happen I was a bit shocked by how bad the Kings were though um, they were really really yeah. awful the, that, that I would have um, I would have with the long hair and the scrum gap he was it was like he was deliberately lining guys guys up to get creamed all day, <laughs> like like passing way off the line, like big floaty over over skip passes. Yeah. I mean, there was one time like I think it was on first phase off a scrum. Chris Farrell came up and he actually hit the guy before before the ball came to so him. Loud. He actually the ball just kind of happened to land on top of the two of them. And, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, God, it's um, it, it's tough going. I mean, it, to, to come to a place like that yeah. anyway, you need to get you need to try and get a foothold in the game. But um, I was really disappointed with how poor they were. Not a good outing for. Uh, Jerry Sexton yeah but I saw Ospreys beat Ulster as well that must be a bit disappointed for Ulster considering they were they were going quite well yeah well who's looking after Ospreys at the moment uh, it's uh, Neil or uh, Neil Ruddock um, <laughs> Mike Ruddock isn't it <laughs> Neil, uh, oh yeah that's right that's right, that's right yeah. Yeah. well to be fair he's the kind of guy you'd expect to turn th- be able to turn I things know, around a little bit to, f- to think Ulster were on a bit of a winning streak and Ospreys haven't exactly been performing quite well you would have fancy them to, to do a job on them yeah I saw Andy Powell tr- tr- trying to throw his name into the hat for a for a, <laughs> for a gig with the Ospreys did he well it was around the time it was when things were at their worst a few weeks back and I saw on Twitter he was saying uh, I'd be delighted to come on board with the Ospreys I think I can a coach impart- player as a coach yeah, yeah. I, said, I think I, I think I command a lot of respect and uh, I think I have a lot of, a lot never, of wisdom he never, to he never struck me as a, a master tactician as a, as a rugby player there was I saw an ad for something on BBC Wales, I think a documentary about him where they go to wherever he's from, basically, and uh, it looks really good. I've always liked him. Dunner sends a great story, uh, Dunner O'Callan about him and, and the Lions tour. So they were obviously meeting at a certain place to, when they were finally leaving in, uh, to get on the flight, like to go to South Africa, was it? And the bus was delayed, like there's none of the Welsh contingent were there, and everyone's like, where, where, where are all the Welsh lads, like? And uh, they finally rocked up about 15 minutes, 15, 20 minutes late, like, and all the Welsh fans were getting on. Jesus, Polly, like, there was the story. He was wailing, crying, saying goodbye to his mother for like 20 minutes, and she'd made them all pack lunches and everything for the trip. Like, he was like, I'll call you today, Mum, I love you, love you, all this. Like, and, uh, he hadn't even got on the bus at this point, like, but it was, uh, Donner tells a great story about it. I heard another one about. Uh, him and his man were driving home in, in a van, I think. And, Golf character uh, van? No, it was a van this time. But they were having a row about something, and I think he kicked out of the dashboard, and the windscreen came off. <laughs> so like, they obviously couldn't put it back in, you know, it was broken or whatever. So so they threw it into the boot, and um, just he has a lot of tradie equipment, so he had these these welding these welding goggles. <laughs> so the two of them had to put on welding goggles for the rest of the drive home. So uh, I I'd love to meet him. He seems like an yeah, incredible character. Yeah. I'd love to sure we might we might convince him to fly to Cork sometime. Yeah, anyway, yeah. <laughs> promise he's, him a good he's, weekend. He's thrown his hat in the ring for many things. He might throw it in for this. <laughs> Hard hitting, sometimes brutal, brilliant at the breakdown, and never afraid to tackle the big names. Read Ronan O'Gara, Simon Lewis, and me, Donald Lenehan, in the Irish Examiner for the best insights and analysis on all the key matches throughout the Six Nations Championship. The 2020 Six Nations in the Irish Examiner. We've got every position covered. So we're joined in the studio now by my old Monster 19s and 20s colleague and retired USA international. John Quill from you all. John, pleasure to have you. Good to see you. Good to be here. How are you doing, lads? Uh, I didn't realise until Dunk said last week, but you, you actually lived together a few years ago, which I, I was yeah. kind of going, oh, do you know John Quill? I was living with a y'all contingent, right? John and Dave O'Callaghan. Yeah. Uh, John Ryan and Sean Dougal, the five of us in a, in a house up in uh, Gary Duff. Yeah. Grand little spot as well, yeah, wasn't it? Lovely. lovely. Was, it, was that the big, the country house? Yeah, place, yeah. Was it? yeah. The, the premier house, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I dipped in there for a minute into the mansion, but yeah. <laughs> so, John, maybe people in the Irish rugby circle, a lot of them wouldn't know a whole pile about you, but uh, you've played 37 games of Test Rugby for the USA. Uh, you've played in two World Cups. Um, well, you remember we played 19s and 20s together, obviously, as I just said, and we spent a bit of time in the sub academy together and you were released from Munster in 2012, yeah. was it? Yeah, yeah. So this is something this is something that is kind of a bit of a bugbearer of mine when you compare Ireland to the likes of England and France. If you don't quite make the grade at academy level or even if you're in an academy and you don't get a senior contract on the back of it, 
if you're in France or England, you have a heap of mm. opportunities to go and have a second crack at it elsewhere, whereas in Ireland there's four teams and that's it. So when you found out you were kind of surplus to requirements at Munster, well, what was your thought process? Were you still saying, I want to play professional rugby? Uh, um, actually, no, not really. Um, as you said, yeah, it's it's very competitive at my year as well. Uh, as you mentioned, Dave O'Callaghan, uh, Peter O'Mahony, Tommy O'Donnell, and all those boys just ahead of me. Um, so it was a very competitive uh, position as well at the time. Um, and after just finishing college um, and being in that system, it's it's a lot. Um, you're training early, you're training often, you're training with a couple of your club and uh, the academy. And if you're lucky, you're in with the seniors then as well. Um, and days up in Limerick, um, so it's it's intense. And on the back of it, I was fed up to be honest. Um, and I was lucky enough. I have an American passport from my mom. Uh, she was born and raised in Staten Island, New York. And I decided to move over to Boston for a year with my now wife um, to get away from rugby. Uh, I was in the country three days and uh, I had a, a trial with the, the national team. Um, I didn't realise that at all. I, I thought you had gone over specifically to play rugby. I didn't no, realise it was... No, um, I did the year before I'd send over some tape to uh, Eddie, uh, Eddie O'Sullivan. Uh, I was the head coach just before that, that World Cup. Uh, would have been 2011? No, 2000. 2015? No, no, I, I was 13, sorry, yeah. Um, and sent over some tape and unfortunately didn't make that, that trip. Um, but on the back of that, um, as is the case with most countries, they uh, kind of give a lot of guys opportunities, um, whether it be from guys retiring on the back of World Cups or whatever. Uh, I got my opportunity very quickly and got my first cap. I think I, I was... I was only in the country a month or, or two um, and got my first cap on the November series. We uh, actually played in Colwyn Bay in Wales, uh, the armpit of Wales, also known as. Jeez, uh, <laughs> I, I, I hope nothing ever brings me back to that place. Um, but yeah, I played Russia and got my first cap and that was the start of a, a, a strange, exciting adventure, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Well, I mean, 37, 37 games of test rugby, I, I played 46 games for Munster over the course of, I was going to say four and a half years, it was really three years, I didn't, I didn't set foot in the pitch for the last 18 months, but uh, like that, that's a very significant achievement for, for anyone to play 37 games of test rugby, and particularly for a guy that went over not really planning or with yeah, any yeah. expectations, so had you signed with an amateur amateur team then no, at that stage? No, there was, there was no signing at that time, okay. uh, it, was, it was as amateur as, the, as it gets, um, it was literally train a couple nights a week wait for uh like a soccer team to get off the pitch and a hockey team and a baseball team you're way down the list of priorities in in terms of sports in the u.s especially in 2012 and uh you, you might be running out there half eight in the evening and uh do your thing, probably go to a bar afterwards, grab some chicken wings and watch some football on Thursday night uh, with a brewski or two, um, and then play at the weekend uh, on some park. Right. Uh, I only played a few times with them. Um, it was Boston Rugby Club at the time. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed my time there uh, in Boston, great city. Um, and then I was, I think I was, I was meant to be there a year, but I... Uh, Kind of headed home after nine months. Did I, you 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 sign for London Welsh after that? Was it? Yeah. Um. So I was came back, finished um, AIL season um with Dolphin um, and then on the back of that, the next season then Speaking went. Speaking of armpits, Dolphin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then went to London Welsh the following season. Yeah. That's why I came home early. Um, actually, left the missus in Boston for the last couple of months, <laughs> um, so I could get some game time with Dolphin um, before going to to Welsh. Okay, and then you you London Welsh got promoted that season. Did yeah, and, and uh, we yeah helped um, win the the champ and then uh, promotion and. Uh, that was all I was needed for. Yeah, they, <laughs> Along they, with they offloaded the bulk of the squad at that 20, point. Yeah, it was very wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's right. 
Fairy came in, did great things in fairness to him. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, me and 24 other guys weren't needed the following season. So Is that right? So there's 25, 25 off Yeah, I think Jesus. that was what it was. Um, it's, uh, it's pretty cutthroat. Yeah, yeah, and only kind of found out last minute, so I was kind of left without a club um, going into the following season. Um, uh, so I was back back at the armpit, otherwise known as Dolphin. Um <laughs> But uh, no, it was a, we did a good team back then, um, and I enjoy, always enjoyed playing with Dolphin. But uh, and then when, when did the chance come up to to go and play professionally in the states? So that was after the 2015 World Cup. Um, I went back over. I was living in New York. I had to get a surgery, and then played a few games with Nyack, um, New York Athletic Club, uh, before the in the run up to the 2015 World Cup. Um, and that's when, the f- just following that, then they started professional rugby uh, in the US, where I've been for the last four years playing. It's really interesting, like, you're obviously going over as just an immigrant who's working, essentially, and you're playing a bit of ball, but you're 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 playing for the national side mm-hmm. in a country of, however, a couple of hundred million people. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're representing that number of people, but you're just going to work every day. It's a little bit like the GA lads here representing their counties after yeah. I often wonder how, how they could do it like as in uh, yeah. uh, it, it must have been love of the game dunk love, <laughs> love of the game <laughs> <laughs> it was it was the love of the game there wasn't a whole uh, lot of perks came with it either um, but yeah it was it was it was it was tough going there was a lot of guys playing abroad in France UK um, and we had the likes of Sam Ruben um, Todd Clever all those Chris Wiles there's a load of them playing Elsewhere, there was only a couple coming in actually from the US playing in the US at the time, um, but that's all changed. There's a, every, anyone that's in a squad now uh, for the US team are playing full time professional rugby, um, whether it be in the US or, or or abroad. So the the kind of there's been a few attempts at uh, at the setting up of professional leagues in in the states over the years. So the it was the pro league that you would have signed for first. So that was that was for this with the Sacramento team. Yeah, yeah, um, Sacramento Express. Was that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> true, that, was your, that was your nickname or the name of the That name? was the name they gave. <laughs> yeah, well, um, it would be a good nickname for yeah. players. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, no, we shot, had yeah. Fat dwarf. Like, it's, it's called. <laughs> I mean, that was swamp, you know. <laughs> swamp, swampy tits. Yeah, yeah. He's forgotten about that actually. Yeah. Jeez, that brings me back. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, obviously at that point there's a bit of excitement, uh, particularly for guys like you who who you, you know you had exposure to professional teams in in a country with really high standards like Ireland you've been slogging away for a while You'd yeah think, yeah this um, is finally my chance to play professional rugby yeah well it, it was because I, I actually retired on the back of the last World Cup as well maybe this one will <laughs> stick we'll see <laughs> um, but I, I retired internationally um, just because of frustrations actually with the last World Cup um uh, the, the 2015 one. Um, what kind of frustrations? Uh, a little bit of selection, but more the way it was. It was. It was. It was amateur. Um, more than it needed to be uh, at that time. We had a quality squad and didn't feel like we really had a game plan that we could use um, to be successful. Um, and yeah, a bunch of stuff like that. It was. It was. There were going cheap on everything um you said off air there about <coughs> travel days you guys had we had some of the worst like 32 hour travel days back from japan yeah. flying here there and everywhere just to save a few bucks um so there was frustrations in terms of that but um but i my missus actually said i've been kind of following you around for this rugby thing for a while i mentioned there about how she had to hang back uh, in the US there in 2012, so she kind of put her foot down, I suppose, in a ways, and said, uh, I'd, I'd like to live in the US for a while, so I didn't see anything wrong with that, let's give it a go, and we did, and great decision, <coughs> actually, in the end of the day, because it was a fantastic experience, and I get to see kind of where the, the game is growing, kind of, because it was fairly raw when I went over in 2013, it was, uh, it was a one-owner league, um, Doug Scherzing uh, was his name and he pretty much came up in his head for six cities was it six? yeah, yeah it was six I think yeah. um, there's like a few big names in there like Mully and they went there Pedri Vandenberg yeah yeah he did he picked up a few names um, and I think they were, those guys were 
some of the few guys that actually got paid. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, is that right? Were there issues of getting paid and there everything? There was a lot of issues. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I remember at the time the the chat because I, I was I was really excited about it because I always I think most people that are involved in rugby in Europe uh, kind of worry that if the US ever got its it's shit together with rugby that they'd be an unstoppable force just by nature of the population. There's also another chance to get a contract over there as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's the real <laughs> reason. Don't let that. Things, things, were, things were very much on the slide in Munster, yeah. so I was eyeing up a contract elsewhere as well. So I wanted as many options as I could get. Yeah. But I remember the chat was that he'd agreed to bankroll it for five years, I think, or something like that. And then after one year, it was yeah, just, yeah, he realised, hang on here, why is why is the stands empty and why is this costing me so much money to run six teams in the US? Um, it was kind of absurd to be honest that he, he thought it would work out um, but yeah I mean as as badly as he did it it was one of the best things that could have happened to rugby in the US because everyone kind of just kind of st- took a step back and realised oh shit like if we don't do this someone else is going to do it um, and it's going to happen quickly um, so yeah his, his league <coughs> it was a lot of large Polynesians um, <laughs> whacking the shit out of the rest of us I made, I made a few over in the Free Jacks last year yeah, yeah it was massive men cleaning lads out it was mm. as I said off air I nearly had, I went to the ref at one point so we have to walk off and this continues like it was just mayhem <laughs> yeah it was like yeah. Yeah. But I remember Luke Masters nearly got his head t- like literally nearly got decapitated <laughs> Conor Oliver nearly got his like head scrunched into his uh, chest and everything it was bloody outrageous yeah no it, it is pretty loose like it was pretty loose um, the refing le- left a lot to be desired but um, so so yeah so so Sacramento you, you had Sacramento that league got disbanded but but happily enough um, the the MLR people might be familiar with the MLS so it's, it's the same organisation is that right um, no it's it's its own organisation okay. but it's it's actually run by uh, a, the ex-head of the MLS so it's, it's, so it's the same true. template they're using um, and it's all all the clubs <clears throat> are owned by their investors so right. it's it's not one guy owns it yeah. all um, <clears throat> it's very much investor run league which is a, a good thing and a bad thing mm. um, because they kind of determine salary caps and, oh, and okay. stuff like that and um, I'm not sure how how well salary caps are governed in, in certain. I won't get into that, but <laughs> <laughs> but um, but yeah, no, it's it's there's a lot of the clubs that have a background there. They have a culture already with them. They have a a club and a history to them already. Whereas before, he just kind of picked a couple of places he wanted for his franchises. Cities, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. like so San Francisco, where that's just not a good idea. Um, but I guess. A lot of people might say the same for New York, and they're they're making it work. Um, or, or Limerick. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it's kind of different. It's not it's not what people would understand fully professional rugby to be because you're not contracted for twelve months of the year. So you're contracted for for essentially what was it six or seven months? And yeah, then... it's 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 growing every year because there's new team. Like mm. it was eight um, teams when it started two years. This is year three, um, which is starting up next week. Is there... um, Toronto are they going to this? Um, Toronto are in it uh, it's Atlanta um, and the Free Jacks anyway they the knew, Free Jacks the Free Jacks yeah. Boston, yeah. yeah. Um, and then next year they're they're looking at Vegas um, there's a couple of games in Vegas this year wow. yeah we clamor the, the agent's phones we're back. Up. we're back up <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so what's that like you essentially have to go and find work then for the for the months of the year that you're not getting money from rugby is that right um, pretty much yeah um, for a lot of guys there's um, we, a lot of the clubs are helping guys out so they've very few hours in season and then, then they kick back into it um, in the off season which is which is great to be honest because it kind of sets you up after rugby. Um, even though you don't have a choice to do it, you you got to do it. But it it puts you in a pretty good position. It, and that was the case with me with um, baking. Um, I baked on the the side. I, I go in. So you did that while, while you were in the states. As yeah, well. yeah. Okay. Um, for the two years I, uh, I was in Colorado, I did that. <clears throat> Couldn't really manage it in New York with travel times and stuff like mm. that. Um, so it was just the rugby there, but because you you come from a baking background, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thing. Um, my my dad is fourth generation. I'm looking to be the fifth. Um, so that was something I actually wanted to 
to try I didn't really it wasn't really on my radar um, until I actually was forced to do it um, by necessity through um, semi-professional rugby but, is that uh, right so, so did you did you have a choice in terms of what work you did there or were yeah you yeah yeah um, they have obviously uh, clubs have different contacts um, depending on where you are in the country but um, I said I wanted to yeah give baking a go I'd done it growing up um, but it wasn't something I really considered as a career until quite recently um, but yeah did it and love it and can't wait to do it forever. <laughs> Demanding, I'd say, though, as well, like early starts, that kind of thing. If, if well, if, if the only like, I suppose bakeries aren't that common in Ireland anymore. Ironically, these baked goods never made it up to the house I was sharing with them, <laughs> as far as I can remember. No, no, I wasn't making them at the time. <laughs> Jesus. Um, yeah, early starts. Um, the, that was kind of a good thing in a way with, with rugby over there because I was doing, um, I was mostly doing this. Uh, we a lot of clubs do kind of a long pre-season just to keep guys employed through rugby um, but the wages and what it, what it normally is for your, right. for your normal league but um, so I was going in at about half three or four a.m. and Jeez. working till eight and in the gym then for half eight um, <clears throat> gym session skill session whatever it is in the morning home and nap then and uh, evening session then with the so at half to you're at three thirty a.m. start and then you're doing your evening session at what time? Uh, it was kind of half six ish, um, because right. you have to do that because there's a lot of guys that are part timers. Like yeah, five, that kind yeah, of thing. you'd have maybe depending on different clubs, um, you'd have six, fifteen to twenty two guys would be full timers and then the rest would make up the part timers. Um, I, I find it fascinating because uh, I, like I had no concept of that before I went to France and obviously in France there's a lot of uh, a lot of Pacific Island guys mm-hmm. either guys guys that have come straight from the islands or, or guys who emigrated at some point to New Zealand and have come from there particularly guys that come as uh, injury cover during the year mm-hmm. because Mitre 10 Cup essentially is is the provincial competition in New Zealand and that runs for like the, the, the contracts run for six months of the year kind of similar enough to what the format is in the States or at least was previously yeah. so they get very badly exploited because if they come on injury cover they mm-hmm. get paid peanuts for that but right. they just take it as an opportunity to get up and mm-hmm. to get up to France and get a foot in the door sure. but um, uh, when it comes to the end of that period like often they would come up and do quite well because they're used to playing at a very high standard even if they haven't played super rugby or anything like that the standard is just so high in New Zealand anyway that they mm-hmm. slot quite comfortably mm-hmm. in but the clubs know that essentially it's a choice between accepting whatever like terrible offer that they get yeah. uh, and being able to move the family to France getting a foot in the door in Europe and playing full time <laughs> professional rugby or going back to play mitre 10 and essentially working shifts in a factory or uh, a couple of the guys were, de- were delivery men um, you're essentially going back to do manual hard manual work for six months of the year so um, that's actually it's an issue we might touch on in another in another episode of more depth uh, Duncan because it really pissed me off when I came across it just hearing the yeah. offers that guys would get like essentially minimum wage offers to come yeah, up from yeah. You know, to 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 spend thirty hours on a plane, bring their families up, and get so paid minimum wage. To play. They pay, throw loads of money at the foreigners, and then shaft the, the peanuts. But it's it's interesting that Irish people have had that same experience of going to the states, and like you mentioned, obviously the way that you, you've gotten to see the game grow a lot from like a very low point in terms of professionalism to to a point where it's really. It's getting a lot of traction internationally now. It is, yeah, yeah. No, it, it is. It has been very enjoyable seeing that evolution. Um, and a huge number of Irish guys coming over to play now as well. Huge, yeah. I mean, especially in New York. There, we we had a, in our fifteen um, out of the starting fifteen, we had ten or eleven Irish players. All right, yeah. yeah I didn't realize it was that, that high actually. Yeah, yeah. I was actually over Christmas. I went up to Dublin to meet up with a few, and there was six or seven of us on a night out in Dublin that play, yeah. f- played or played for New York. Like, uh, it's kind of, it's, yeah, they're definitely uh, picking up a few boys and bringing them over. It's a great opportunity, Evan I think. Evan Minturn from Cannes. Yeah. He's the, gone over there. There's a couple of Cannes boys gone over, I think. 
Yeah, yeah. There's um, there's what there'd be upwards of twenty guys playing in the league, definitely. Would there? I would say so. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's terrific to see guys that maybe would have played Irish twenties would have been on radars, but but just like, like yourself, just didn't get the opportunity with the province. It's great that there's another avenue you now. Absolutely. Particularly given the fact that obviously there's a huge Irish connection all over the states, but the New York team is actually owned by a guy from Newport, County Tipperary. Yeah, yeah. Um, James Kennedy. Kennedy yeah. yeah. Um, he's yeah. James is uh, an interesting character. I Great got an uh, I got a Instagram message off him one day. Uh, it was probably oh, yeah. May or June. He's like, "Oh, can I give you a call?" Sometimes, or yes, so here's my number. Like, of course, phone call never came. <laughs> okay, there. Uh, yeah, that's my number there. If you really want to ring me. Yeah. Well, his story is quite cool. Like he was again, he was just an immigrant into the states, and he yeah. went, was it through construction. Construction, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, this is kind of his his baby now, and he's he's definitely invested uh, a lot of emotion into it. Sorry, James English actually. James English is the, is the uh, is yeah, yeah. He was the the manager, the oh, okay. um, general manager. I read I read an interview with James Kennedy recently. Um, where he said that the Pro 14 actually approached him before he set up the New York franchise to set up a team and yeah, I heard that for the Pro yeah. 14. But he said that, uh, well, yeah, so they, they, they essentially wanted it to be kind of a fifth province, so it would be the main function of it would be somewhere for Irish guys to go. Right. Now, it's obviously going to end up being that by default, but uh, uh, he said that Americans wouldn't come to watch something that didn't have a bit of local attachment to it oh yeah very much so <clears throat> that's that's the that's the the big thing right now is trying to get people out to games and it's trying to get that connection with some some part of your area that the that the club is in that was what i was talking about earlier in terms of these clubs have some sort of a history behind them now they're not just plonked in a city that never had rugby before it's it's generally they're developing something that's already been there um and it's it's working um in terms of like last year we we played san diego in the semi-final in san diego's packed stadium not a very big stadium but packed yeah. atmosphere was unbelievable and uh there's a there's a few different places um, seattle have that same atmosphere new york are trying to get it um it's not an easy thing in a big city like that of course but yeah but one thing that strikes me is that uh like i follow quite a lot of guys particularly from the new york setup um mm. and other teams as well in the league is that americans just do sports marketing so well it just comes mm. they're just so used to it from being immersed in it the whole time yeah, yeah. the stuff is so polished like I remember when when rugby new york rugby united new york is yeah, the, yeah, the team yeah. when that was launching like the branding, everything it would put it would put Munster to shame. Like <laughs> just how 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 good and on the ball they are. Like it would put most teams in in Europe to shame. Really, they just get how it does, and I yeah. think that really helped to grow the market there. It it puts players to shame though as well. In some ways, there it's it can be a bit cringy. You know what I mean? The <laughs> whole <laughs> rah rah. Munster lads, but they're not doing that. You go. Pretty much like they had uh, last season, they had a bunch of boys in Times Square um, with their tops off and some uh, Santa hats on and just the the shorts and socks, the game day shorts and socks. And uh, nobody knowing who you were, yeah. (laughs) Like it was, I uh, thankfully I missed that one. Um, Did you think you passed up the opportunity to get your your rig out? No, no, Paddy Ryan was flying the flag for that one. I let him do it. No wonder it hasn't taken off. Um, but uh, no, they do. They 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 really <clears throat> throw themselves into that sort of stuff, and uh, a lot of times it hits. But the odd time it can be a bit yeah. a bit cringy. <laughs> and so the move the move home. Obviously, you're like you're you're playing in a in a league that's in a really exciting period. You're playing with a team that's in a really exciting period as well. Uh, why the decision to to call it a day in the states and move back to y'all? Um, it kind of just made sense in t- in terms of. The World Cup being a kind of a the, the finish of it in terms of we bounced around a lot as I said we started in California moved to Colorado and and um, New York and we did all that by car and all our valuables yeah. thirty hour <laughs> trips each one Jesus. and stuff like that uh, and a, and a dog in there somewhere as well um, but um, it the moves are tough you know what I mean it's 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 enjoyable and it's a great experience but. Um, it's 
almost a young man's game. I'm not saying I'm old or anything, but to be moving around like that, it's it just doesn't make sense eventually. Mm. I just can't justify it. And especially with the, the wage that they have there now, it's improving every year, but it's it's not where it needs to be to, yeah. to justify that kind of a, a lifestyle particularly um, particularly with a with a wife like right? exactly yeah well. yeah i mean it, i think it's 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 always very easier for a, a lad that moves for the purpose of sport because you've got like you've, you've immediately got a circle of friends exactly yeah, uh, yeah it's yeah. far more difficult for the other half in that situation for sure yeah um so and in terms of my career outside of rugby kind of i wanted to get into the baking sooner rather than later as well i was enjoying it and i wanted to kind of build on that um and then in terms of a family we we knew we weren't going to be there long term uh schooling is mental is it yeah. expensive yeah like i have a lot of friends over there that have hundred thousand dollar loans well, of that course, they're yeah. going to be paying off for the first few years of their careers and health insurance um is pretty nuts i had health insurance for myself um and it was 558 a month oh. and that was like Jesus. in terms of if you're going to have a family it's going to be a lot more than that so stuff like that we looked at and it just it didn't really make sense so um yeah it was about time to make the move on uh, yeah. and how, how have you found the adjustment back to back to you all good yeah i think for, from new york to y'all is is probably as similar as, as <laughs> yeah. uh, maybe the water is not as polluted in new york as it is in y'all but <laughs> Oh, the blue flag is coming back this yeah, year. It's back, baby. Yeah. <laughs> the boardwalk now is heaving. Oh, was, was, like, did you lose the blue flag? It was, yeah, for a minute. And it comes yeah. and goes every <laughs> couple of weeks. It's in Depends out. on tides. Yeah. Um, no, um, I'm really enjoying it. Uh, it has very much been an adjustment. Um, but one I'm, I'm enjoying, I've kind of found out in New York that city living is not quite for me. Mm. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, no, really enjoying it. It's nice to be around family again um, after bouncing around for six or seven years or whatever it's been. Yeah, and you've hung up the boots. Well, you haven't hung up the boots. You said they're, they're resting. How would you describe it? Uh, yeah, they're they're just taking a little a little rest time. Um, I'm not sure. This season will pass me by anyway because um, I'm enjoying kind of waking up and not being sore. Yeah, I know, um, I know that reason, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I'll let this one pass me by and kind of reassess next year. Um and see where we go from there. All right, well, John, it's it's been great to see you, man. I think it's been six, seven, Probably, seven yeah, maybe yeah. years since I've seen you. So, uh, good to see you looking healthy, wearing questionable clothes as always. <laughs> <laughs> the very best of luck with yeah. uh, with the business back in you all, and uh, yeah, sure. Much. I look forward to seeing you again soon. Cheers, John. Yep, best of luck. Thank you. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.